Welcome to Humans of Fintech, the podcast where I share the inspiring stories of diverse leaders bringing equity to financial systems through fintech. I'm Nicole Kasperson. In this episode, I chat with Christy Kim. She's the CEO of Tomo Credit. Christy's story starts back as a young South Korean immigrant student. She was unable to get approved for a car loan simply because she didn't have a credit history. This sparked the idea to create Tomo Credit, which is a credit card for those who have no credit or poor credit that aims to help them build a better score faster. In this episode, Christy and I talk about the different types of ambition and how it's important to pursue the one that makes you the most fulfilled. We talk about how women can learn to take a risk in their careers and how she found it within herself to do that. And the many ways that Christy and Tomo are moving the needle on financial inclusion and the system to make finance work for everyone. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Christy. Christy, thank you so much for joining me on Humans of Fintech. We've been working together to get you on our show for some time. The stars have finally aligned. So, so excited to have you with us. Thank you so much. So, I know you built Tomo Credit out of your own personal frustrations as a young female international student. But before we jump into that story, I want to first ask how your career actually started because clearly you kind of started in the industry and then almost held on to those feelings as a student so where does it begin for you yeah so one important context is that I always felt like an outsider because I'm from Seoul South Korea and my parents are a small business owners in South Korea so when I decided to come to the U.S. and um, build my life in the U.S. I was only 16, uh, not 16, 11 years old. And then I basically announced to my parents that, hey, <laughs> I want to um, like leave in the U.S. And my parents are like, thought that that's just a phase. Maybe they thought that, oh yeah, Christy like, likes to like, you know, have more fun in the, in the U.S., you know, less studying, whatever. They didn't take, uh, they didn't take it seriously, but I was very serious because <laughs> I had to convince my parents that, hey, you know, I want to stay in the U.S. more, spend more time in the U.S. So for me, I grew up splitting my time in South Korea and U.S. a lot. And then always felt like it's interesting to learn like both cultures and differences uh, and similarities. And when I was starting out my career in San Francisco, I just thought that I want to build the best career possibly I can imagine because I chose to stay in the U.S. I chose to stay in San Francisco and it has to be something very meaningful. If not, I could simply go back to Korea and then be more comfortable and stay close to my family. But I didn't know exactly what that is, like what job is meaningful, what career is meaningful. But at least I thought that I would try something that's most challenging to me at that moment. So I think I kept choosing the career that looked most challenging. So that's why I got into investment banking, because at that time, everyone said that that's most challenging job. (laughs) Solid choice. (laughs) So I did that. And then after that, like uh, I became venture capitalist, and I also wanted to like work at a startup, try a startup. So it's kind of 
finding something that looks challenging. And then during the process, I learned so much because I was not afraid of making mistake or making, I mean, failing at things. So keep pushing. And then through that journey, I met so many amazing people and learned fast. It's so, I think, crucial the part where you did, you know, come from another country where you were so adamant about splitting your time or even just thriving in an, basically like an unknown territory to you, right? You're right. You could have been more comfortable back at home with your family. You could have maybe been more comfortable pursuing a path that isn't as challenging as investment banking, especially for, for women, right? So, I mean, where do you think that like tenacity to want to really challenge yourself comes from? Does it come from like your family or the culture? I think I wanted to just show that I can do it. It's more of self-motivation than anything else because it's not like anyone is pressuring me to, oh, achieve great things or have a challenging career. My parents were actually the opposite, especially my dad. My dad always told me that, hey, even when I was a student, he was more like, hey, it's like life is like a life and career is like a marathon. Your health is most important. Like sleep more, even though you might want to study more, sleep more. (laughs) And then she became an entrepreneur. (laughs) Yeah. So he was very like work-life balance focused. Like he told me that, you know, you should just, you know, have an easy job in South Korea. And my dad was like telling me that you can, we can play golf together over the weekend. He was like, (laughs) he has his dream, like life that would be really good for me, like easy for me. So for me, like I always felt like that's like his version of like showing his love because we are very close. For him, he has an idea that what's best for me and what's like, you know, best option for me. And that he want me to have that because he loves me. And for me, it's for me, but I have different plans. So I don't, I don't, we don't argue, we don't fight. I just hear what he said, but I just tell him that, oh, by the way, I keep my job, started a company. <laughs> it's more like, like I listen to what he says, but like at the end of the day, I make the decision. I think he, and he understands that. Um, and now I think he is very proud that I'm doing what I'm doing. So it's kind of, we agree to disagree in a way. And then we just like, you know, <laughs> yeah, happy, <laughs> um, you know, having a happy family together. I resonate with that because it's the difference between what maybe your parent or your family thinks is ambitious, right? You should maybe be ambitious for a an easy, you know, comfortable life, or should you be ambitious for marrying someone that can take care of you or, you know, a ton of different like ideologies of what ambition can look like. And so you just really stay true to what that looks like for you, right? Which is like pursuing a career in America, being a business owner, being an entrepreneur, building something that's that's passionate for you. And I think a lot of women can lean into that more, right? Like trusting the vision and the process and, and being open to building. But I think that's like a scary switch to kind of jump into, right? I think for anyone, but especially women in the space to kind of go take the leap in building something, right? Like you and I both have done that. I mean, what's your like piece of advice for women 
maybe right there, ready to take the leap, but are still reserved? So for me, always like not taking myself too seriously, like having like some sense of like humor <laughs> helped me a lot in a way that, because my parents have lower expectations, it's really funny that like my dad say something like, oh yeah, you know, start a company is good. Then, you know, if this fail, you will make a really great employee because now yeah. you know how hard it is. I'm like, yeah, thank you. And he's like, oh, oh yeah, so-and-so, you know, companies that invest in you might hire you because you will make a good employee. So I'm like, yes, absolutely. Thanks, dad. So we're like, we kind of like, he is always funny that way that like having like, basically like telling me that it's not the end of the world if things mm-hmm. don't pan out, right? So I think that really helps. And also having this mindset of, oh, I can try it. Um, anyone can try it. So one conversation I was having with my dad, he was we were talking about Elon Musk for some reason. And then he said something, oh, yeah, he's special. So I told him that, hey, I'm special too. <laughs> and he was like laughing. So for me, it's like, well, he was maybe when he was 20-something, 30-something, he was just just like nobody like anyone else. And then start one company successful and start another company. So for like women, maybe because there are not many like female Elon Musk of the world, maybe we are like not really clicking that, oh yeah, I can be like that or I can totally do that. Like maybe less relatable. But in my mind, whenever I see successful business people, no matter they are men or women, I always naturally relate and say that, oh, I can totally do that too. So it was kind of interesting to see that in my dad's view is like, oh, he's special or something. But I'm like, yeah. hey, you know. So am I. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that you're sharing that because I think it's so needed to be heard. The amount of, you know, I first, before this podcast, I content produced other podcasts at publications and I, the amount of in, women I would pre-interview before the podcast who would tell me like, my story is not that special. I'm not special. And I'm like, of course it is. Like, no matter what, you have a personal story that no one else has. And that is special. And the real trick is just being able to to tell it, right? And being open and vulnerable enough to, to share it. And you've done that so well. So now I'm going to circle back to that story of how or more so why you were inspired to build Tomo Credit out of that that frustration that you had when you were a student trying to, I believe it's by buy a car. So feel free to share that that story for us. I got the job I wanted. I wanted to get into investment banking. So I graduated before tech was hot. So, yes. <laughs> and then I wanted to get into investment banking and consulting. So I got into banking. I was very happy. I was doing M&A work. Um, and I wanted to buy a car uh, because I was driving um, San Francisco, from San Francisco to like South Bay, like Palo Alto a lot. So I tried and my colleagues, uh, American colleagues will tell me that, hey, get an auto loan. That's how everyone else uh, buying their here in the U.S. So I'm like, okay, I'll do that. And I applied for it and kept getting rejected. I got rejected more than five times. And I was like, something wrong with me? Did I make a mistake? And uh, what? But finally, I figured out that I didn't have a credit score. So I was like credit invisible. So lenders could not approve me. 
no matter like they personally want to or not, they couldn't. That gave me this idea that it would be really nice if we can find a way to give a fair shot of people like me who do not have credit score in the U.S. yet, but have good income history or have savings account or investment account, basically have something to show. So that's why I started Toma Credit 2019. The idea is the same, that there are so many Christie's in this world, millions of them. They are good. They have good potential, but they happen to have no credit score. And right now, the system doesn't give them any chance. The system doesn't bother to look at them. And at Tomo, we built our own underwriting algorithm to look at them and give them a fair shot. And what you're doing is exactly what gets me excited about the fintech space and what I focus on with my content. This podcast, the newsletter is really highlighting those those stories because it's about rewriting the way or restructuring, right? The way that finance works for people, especially the part where it hasn't worked for majority of people. So, I mean, take us back to when you felt like fintech would be where it made sense to create your own solution to the problem that you faced? Yeah, so for me, I was not the type of person who were obsessed with the idea of starting a company. Like I could totally work for other companies and be happy or um, build impact. But for me, I found a problem first from my experience. And that problem... I saw that the problem was growing bigger and bigger in the past 10 years or so. Uh, so in 2017, 18, I was traveling a lot. I was going to like Hong Kong, Korea, and uh, San Francisco, going back and forth, doing international work. And I saw so many people who are struggling to build credit in the US. And for example, like people like millionaires in South Korea or billionaires, like they cannot rent a car in the US or they cannot get a credit card in the US. So I'm like, oh, that's kind of same problem that I had, even though I was not a millionaire that back then. That's kind of the same type of problem I had more than 10 years ago. And wait, people are still having the same problem. Like how come no one has fixed it? So that got me into this like going down the rabbit hole of looking into different uh, like uh, points of the systems like let's look at credit bureaus let's talk to credit bureaus let's talk to major lenders Wells Fargo American Express etc so I started talking to their executives or management trying to get a sense of number one are they aware of this problem number two are they motivated to do anything about it and number one Yes, they are aware of the problem. They are aware of the fact that there are like 120 million or so of Christie who do not have credit, good credit in the US. But when it comes to number two question, answer is no, they are not motivated to do anything about it. Because at a big banks, a large lending institution, their focus is having more stability and security. It's not about being the best innovator. So for them, they they have luxury to be able to wait and see someone else doing it and copy later because they don't want to take any risk, right? Because they have too much to lose. 
So I thought that well, perfect. By nature of a startup, it's hundred percent risk, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, perfect. You know, as a startup, I have no existing portfolio. I have no existing clients to worry about. I have no existing legacy underwriting. I have no legacy risk team. I can start fresh. I can start doing hundred percent, like fundamentally differently. So I'm not gonna look at credit score, and I'm gonna. Go after twenty something, thirty something without credit score, and then I'm gonna prove that I'm able to underwrite them without、uh, using credit score or any traditional way of doing it. So I thought that it's actually amazing opportunity for fintech because we are 100% risk, and our potential competitors are very, very risk averse. So if they are gonna copy us, they are gonna copy us five, ten years later. It's Such a cool minds that you have, right? But ingrained in your fundamental values of being open to achieving, you know, your your ambition and being open to being almost like that that challenger, right? Like I'm going to challenge the system. I'm going to challenge and say, hey, like there is another way to do that. And it's just the the coolest part about being in the fintech space. But was there ever a moment where you thought, oh no, this This isn't gonna work, or like an an obstacle that you thought was nearly like impossible to overcome as you were starting to to build this out. Yeah. So for me,、uh, I reminded myself that hey, I have nothing to lose. Right. Because、right? as a foreigner coming here and try to do things differently from like hundreds years old the U.S. lending system, if I fail. Of course, I can fail, right? So for me, is I, I have nothing to lose.、Um, so that was my mindset that I will try my best, and then if I lose, that's fine. But if I, what if I succeed, right? What if I succeed? Like how many people I can help? Like how many people, young people, like ten years, ten fifteen years younger version of Christy could benefit? So. I felt like the impact is so big; it, it's worth a shot. Yeah. And once we launched the product, everything clicked. That once we launched the product, it was crystal clear that people wanted the product. So there was a product market fit. So we didn't have to worry about marketing that much. So that allowed us to focus on like underwriting and building our technology. So I think. It has been really rewarding. So I tell people who are thinking about starting a company, I tell them that I'm not the expert on how to pick the idea, but at least from my experience, I can tell you that just pick the idea that you will like regret. You don't give a shot, like when you die. If you pick that idea, then it's fine. You know, you just literally have. It's like a game that you cannot lose <laughs> because.、Yeah. You you try it, and then you will not regret it. I think that means a lot. If you don't see it, dare to build it, right? And at the end of the day, you're so right. I think it's such a good mentality, especially for women to have to have more of. And if you know we can take these leaps like you did, then we could probably see a lot more of the solutions that we need to see in the fintech space, right? So it's it really does start with that that inner confidence and that belief that you can. 
you know, you can take that risk. You and you're right. The co- the competitors they they can't. So it's really on us, right, to to move the financial system forward, or i.e., completely rebuild uh, one that is way more inclusive, right? So, kind of thinking about some of those that initial obstacle, right? How do you feel about your current position in the fintech industry now? After you know overcoming all these these difficulties, and and now you're in this place where it feels like the the rocket ship is really like on its way and taking off. And how is it feeling today? I feel mainly like thankful. I、uh, gave a shot at the idea, and it was just me myself, just yeah, fully fully convinced, and I、mm. made. A lot of like many people who are thinking about starting a company, but they are waiting for stars to be aligned. They are waiting for potential investor, waiting for potential co-founder, waiting for potential client to be fully convinced themselves that they are going to do this. But for me, I was like thousand percent fully committed that no matter what, I am doing this. Like I am giving myself permission to like do this. Like unbothered and not distracted, so in the first two years, I think it's just literally like crazy amount of self conviction that I had to I I had, and I just naturally had that because this problem is something I have observed over over a decade. So I had a conviction that I'm not the expert in the entire banking system, entire payment stack. But I am the absolute best expert in credit building because you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And then I did so much research. That's all I thought about for so many years. That at any possible, any like existing research, whether it's like a school research or government agencies, I read all of it and I talked to every. Influential people in credit score related. So for me, it was like having that really strong conviction that I'm the expert in this, and no one can tell me otherwise. So in the first two years doing that, and then now that company is mature, like we are entering year five next year. I think now it's good to see that overall the industry is more open. Or like more accepting the idea of doing what Tomo is doing, like doing it differently and yeah, trying to care for users that don't have credit score. Because before it was more like, oh, without credit score, just bad. I don't want to even look at them. You know, they are niche. They are too small of a segment. But now I think at least that that skepticism is gone. So for me, I feel grateful that you know. That people, some early people who believed in me, they helped me to get to this point that, like now, industry is more、uh, supportive of what we do at Tomo. I think it's so special that you kind of held on to the the feeling, right? Like that feeling you had when you were, you know, rejected or that that problem that you had. You held on to that, and then when it Just felt right to you, not when someone else thought it was right. 
you know, you felt it was right. And so then you executed. And I think that's such a strong message for, you know, anyone listening to this podcast for them to, to remember that. Right. And I resonate with that, that heavy. I feel like I held on to this feeling like an outsider, right. Or being tired. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a journalist. I grew tired of covering the, the same kind of person over and over again, the same type of perspective. And I was like, there has to be a better way. And I just like ripped the bandaid and created my own brand so that I could cover the industry in the way that I felt was, was missing. That's like the big takeaway is when you, when you feel that, you know, like you just kind of have that feeling where, you know, it's, it's right. Um, and that there's, there's a, a problem that you're capable of solving and using that, whatever you're the most strong at, right? You identified your strength. That's why self-reflection is so important. Um, you know, your strength, you're the, you're the best at this. No one else can, can tell me otherwise. And I think that's what anyone else building in this space can, can think about for themselves is like, I'm the best storyteller there is. No one's going to tell me otherwise. I'm going to use my superpower to help make the industry better, right? And I think that's like such a key to your story. And I think that's the beauty of fintech and startups. Because if you think about it, to succeed in traditional like corporate America, you are supposed to downplay your uniqueness. Right. Follow and fit in and then go up the ladder. Right. But in tech, uh, fintech in my case is that my uniqueness, my unique background, like being an immigrant or like being like female, foreigner, like having uh, having to build credit like on my own and didn't have parents to tell me how to build one and made so many mistakes you can imagine in personal finance, especially credit. So I think yeah. that becomes a strength. But I think that's what makes FinTech so exciting that your uniqueness and your struggle and your like traditionally it's supposed it was supposed to be a weakness but you can turn yeah. into your special something and then you can uh, be the expert because you can understand uh, your users who have the same pain, pain point so you become the expert in that pain point it's a completely different connection you're having with the user it's not like in the corporate world where you're exactly right you're actually stripping away who you authentically are to fit in so that you can grow. And this is the direct opposite of that. And as a result, you get to one feel so much more of that like passion and that the, the, your values being met. And then so does the audience or like the user. Right. And to me, that's just like the synergy that the, and the cult where the culture is heading. Right. At, at this point, consumers, they want to know, who's providing them their financial tools. They like want, especially the younger generation. So it's the way the, the world is going. And we are, we're steering this ship here in FinTech. And I completely agree with you. So as we close out this conversation, it's been so much fun learning about you. You are such an inspiration for really just like pushing and achieving what you are, you know, your ambitions are. I want to ask you my favorite question, which is, if we need to be the change that we want to see, what change do you want to see in fintech and how do you embody it? I want to see more female at the executive level because as we talked about, like being 
able to relate to consumers, relate to end user is such an important skill. So when you think about like day-to-day finance, financial decisions, uh, women make a lot of decisions like for household and personal finance. And when you, when you just think about the entire population, so it's pretty even like men and women. But when I look at fintech for traditional finance, I don't even care. You know, I don't think, <laughs> I, I think that's like, you know, I, I don't have much influence or that. But when I look at fintech, as I said, we can turn our uniqueness, our like supposed to be weakness into superpower. Then in fintech, I want to see more female in leadership and more female in executive because this is our field to turn our uniqueness and be, our strengths to be able to connect with the users. Exactly. So for me, that's so I hope that in the next five to 10 years, we will see more like female leaders in fintech. Like not just in like certain like department, like not in like marketing HR. Like I want to see more female leaders like throughout different department and executive level. Then, you know, we can relate to like more customers and bringing more changes. Then that's eventually going to influence the broader finance world as well. Very well said, and I completely agree. I it's one of the biggest things I'm I'm hoping to help move the needle on with with my content. More women in uh, CIO and CTO roles and in, in product roles, especially the the building. Right, I would love to see it because at the end of the day, the products that we're making, if they're not you know designed by women and diverse people, then they're never going to properly serve the diverse communities they're intended to. And on another note, we're never going to know how big this fintech world of ours can truly get if 50% of the population isn't in the decision-making room. So a lot is riding on women being a part of the industry in an equitable way. Well said. My final question for you, what is one piece of advice you would give our listeners who are still feeling like outsiders? Just continue. Mute your feelings. <laughs> Not through your feelings. Just mute your feelings. Because people say, oh, scared, scared, afraid, just do it anyway. I think that's a really good good uh, mantra because you will never feel super confident or super qualified. So no matter how you feel, like just keep going, right? So keep going, keep going. Because things all add up. So you keep showing up, you keep doing your best, and then years and years and years after, naturally you become confident or you naturally become more self-assured. And that's something I tell myself as well, that I'm really looking forward to see myself growing in the next like five years of the company journey, five or more than that, the company journey, because I really want to grow as a leader. And then I haven't done this before it's first time and then like learning I think there's like so much fun and learnings that I can gain Uh, so I have mentality that hey like doesn't matter how I feel like I know that I want to learn and I'm gonna like continue love it such good advice and really that consistency right at the end of the day success is not overnight it is about the consistency and I appreciate that advice I feel like I could really use that right now as well. Um, Thank you so much, Christy, for joining Humans of Fintech. This has been so much fun from learning about your background as 
just an ambitious woman following her own path to paving pathways for more women to be in executive seats. I really appreciate you joining. Thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing your story. And I'm just so happy to, to amplify you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. To hear our next story from another diverse leader, be sure to tune in next week. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our show and give it a five-star rating as it helps our message reach more people who want to find belonging too.